the main thing. And for Haggai, the main thing is rebuilding God's house, the temple. Now, to understand why Haggai so desperately wants God's people to rebuild God's house, we have to remember the significance of the temple. In the Bible, the temple is where God's presence dwells with God's people. It's where God's presence dwells with God's people. So Haggai is calling the people to so much more than building a physical structure. He's calling God's people to rebuild the very center of Israel's worship, community, and mission. See, the temple for Old Testament Israel was the very center of the same things we emphasize here at City Light Church. Worship, where they express love for God. Community, where they'd gather to minister in love to one another. And mission, where the nations would come and see the glory of Yahweh and be saved by him. The temple was the very center of worship, community, and mission. But at the time that Haggai wrote, the temple was in ruins. You see, in 586 BC, the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, they conquered the city, they exiled the people, and they destroyed the temple. But then in 538 BC, the exiles were permitted to come back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. And the temple rebuild project starts really well, but then opposition arises and the people immediately give up building God's house and they get busy building their own houses. Now fast forward 18 years, and the people are still saying, now is not the time to build God's house. And in the midst of that, Haggai calls the people back to the temple project. But again, don't miss the significance of the temple. Haggai is calling them to so much more than a building project. He's calling them to put God first because wherever God is second, God is rejected. Now, miraculously, we learned last week that the people actually receive Haggai's words as God's words. And they tremble before God's word and they obey him. So they go up to the hills, they get the wood, and they start to rebuild the house. But this morning as we shift into Haggai chapter 2, we're going to see something arise that threatens to torpedo the entire building project. Discouragement. Discouragement threatens to torpedo the entire project and cause them to give up. Let's look together at Haggai 2, verses 1 to 3. It says, In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, that's going to be significant, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? 
What's going on? 21 days earlier, the people hear God's call to rebuild God's house and they begin obeying. Now, 21 days into the building project, they pause and they look at their progress. And they compare the temple that they're rebuilding to the majesty and the beauty of Solomon's temple before the Babylonians destroyed it. They compare their present progress with a past ideal and they become deeply discouraged. They're playing the comparison game between ideal and present reality and they become so deeply discouraged that they're tempted to give up completely on building God's house and simply go back to building their own houses. So that's the situation. Now, let's make this personal for a moment. How are you today tempted to grow discouraged in building God's house? Just think about it for a moment. How are you tempted to get discouraged? Now, you may be wondering, well, how do we build God's house today? I mean, we're not like resurrecting physical temples, are we? No, we're not. You see, we build the temple today by coming to Jesus Christ, the true temple, for forgiveness of sins and reconciliation to God. And then as a church, we are being built into a temple. We build by coming to faith in Christ and then obeying what he's commanded to love God and love others. In other words, we build the temple by pursuing the very things we value most here at City Light. Worship, community, and mission. We build the temple by coming to faith in Christ and through Christ being empowered to grow in love for God, love for one another, and love for our neighbors. And over the last couple weeks, as you have heard the call to build God's house, undoubtedly many of you have said, yes, I want to take part. I want to grow in worship. I want to grow in community. I want to grow in mission. But here's my question for you this morning. How are you tempted? Now that you've started building, now, so to speak, 21 days later, to grow discouraged. For some of you, it's in the area of worship, right? So you've said, okay, I want to build God's house by pursuing worship. So I'm, I'm going to spend time with God again. I'm going to read his word. I'm going to pray. Or I'm going to grow in godliness by putting to death some particular sin. And like a week later, you're already discouraged. Like, I remember when I used to love spending time with God. Now I can't seem to get out of bed. I used to remember when this sin sickened me. Now it just looks so beautiful and we compare to some past ideal and we get discouraged. For some of us, it's in the area of community, right? Okay, I'm gonna pursue community here at City Light. I'm gonna get involved in a city group and a discipleship group. I'm really gonna go deep with these people. And 21 days later, you look maybe at some past ideal community you once had and compare it to the depth of relationships you have now, and you get discouraged. Is it worth it? Maybe I should just go somewhere else. Which, of course, the dirty little secret about that is you're just starting the whole process over again. And then for some of us, it's mission, right? I just want to grow in my boldness. I want my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers to know how much God loves them and that he sent his son for them. And you're like, okay, I'm gonna move toward people in sacrificial love. I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna share the gospel with them. And then 21 days later, you're just overwhelmed by how not bold you are. 
Like I used to love speaking about all that God had done for me. Now I can't even open my mouth. Discouragement because we compare to some past or maybe present ideal. I mean, for me, it's marriage. As we've been working in this Haggai series, I thought, I want to grow in my love for my closest neighbor, my wife. I just want, I want to serve her. I want to be the kind of husband that helps her flourish. And then like 21 days later, you know, I just, I open up Instagram and I compare to like this beautiful ideal marriage. You, you know the ones where like you open up Instagram and some guy's wife is like, I'm just so thankful for my husband. Like he works hard and makes a six-figure salary and then he comes home and like he bathes the children, never raises his voice. Then we have family devotions and he's just so sexy. Like, and, and you know, and you, you read that and you're like, I just might as well give up as a husband. Like, I, I did go to work today. I, you know, like, what, what else have I done? You know, and, and that's what we do. And we get so, and it's, it's like it's hilarious because no one Instagrams an argument with their spouse. You know, no one's like, oh, I got really defensive today. Do you want to take a selfie and like, maybe I'll just describe that experience? Like, no, no one does that. And so we look at this ideal And then we look at our present reality and we become deeply discouraged, either by our growth and love for God or by our lack of growth and love for one another or maybe a little bit of both. So how are you today tempted to grow discouraged in the midst of your building of God's house? With that in mind, let's hear what God has to say to us in the midst of our discouragement. Do you have your discouragement in mind? I know for some of you, you're like optimists. That took some time. For some of you, you're like me. You're like, I have 15 of them ready. Can you please tell me what God has to say? Yes. Verse four. You'll see it up on the screen. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I love how the Lord responds to them. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, you know what, that past or future ideal is pretty much impossible for you, so why don't you just pack it in and go back to your old selfish life? He also doesn't say, actually, let me remind you how great you are. We never, this is one of the things I love about Mike's preaching, you will never come to church and hear a sermon about how great you are. That won't encourage you, because you know you. No, the Lord tells them about how great he is, and that in his greatness he's with them. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of heavenly armies who rules over the nations. He is the one who is present with them. See, the big idea of our passage this morning is right here in verse 4. The big idea is this. God empowers, the Lord empowers, discouraged builders to press on. If you're here this morning and you're discouraged in the slowness of your growth in worship, community, and mission, I've got wonderful news for you. God empowers discouraged builders to press on. Now, how does he do it? In our passage, we see there are two specific ways 
the Lord empowers discouraged builders. The first is through his current presence, and the second is through his future promise. His current presence and his future promise. We'll take them one by one. First, his current presence. Verses four and five. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you. Now, this is really important, this part right here. He's saying, I am with you according to a past promise I made to be with you. And he's referencing here the Exodus, that God brought you, many of you have seen the movie. God brings his people out of slavery in Egypt through the hand of Moses, brings them to Mount Sinai, and he says, you are going to be my people, and I'm going to be your God, and I will be with you according to my promise forever. And it's really significant that the Lord is renewing that here because between Mount Sinai and the Exodus and the time of Haggai, Israel has sinned against God in every way possible. They have pursued other gods constantly. They have sinned and disobeyed. And yet God says, I am with you, not according to your faithfulness, but according to my faithfulness because I've promised it. We'll continue moving in the verse. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. The Lord empowers discouraged builders through his current presence. Why do we get discouraged? According to this passage, we get discouraged because we fix our eyes on the gap between ideal and our current reality instead of focusing on the God who is present with us in the midst of that gap. We grow discouraged because we fixate on the gap between ideal and our current reality rather than on the God who is the Lord of hosts who is present with us in the midst of that gap. And so what the Lord does in this passage is he takes their eyes off of what they believe is true about themselves and he fixes their eyes on what's true about him. He is the Lord, the ruler of the universe, who is with them in the midst of a very discouraging season. I think Alec Matir, an Old Testament scholar, puts it beautifully when he says, the key to tackling despondency is found here. Stop listening to ourselves and start listening to him and his word of promise. Here the Lord spoke to them of his sufficiency. I am with you. He offers them only his presence, for in him... They have all they need. In the midst of their discouragement, notice in verse 5, he promises to be with them by the Spirit. Spirit carrying the connotation of present power with them. Again, Matir, the Lord's presence with his people is his live and dynamic power. He's not a mere observer 
or bystander. It's just so beautifully true. The Lord is no mere observer or bystander in the midst of your discouragement. Saying, boy, if you can pull yourself together, I might throw a little like blessing dust on you. No, he is not a mere observer or bystander, but the living God. And as followers of Jesus, God's promise to be present with us is far greater than the promise he made to the people in Haggai's time. In the time of Haggai, he promised, I'll be with you by the Spirit. But Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, has caused us to be able to bound into God's presence and has promised to send his Spirit not simply to be with us, but within us. The Holy Spirit that was near to them is within us. And do you know what Jesus called the Holy Spirit during his earthly ministry? The comforter and the helper. In the midst of your discouragement, God by his spirit dwells within you to comfort you and to help you. He has not left you alone in this season. He is present with you, comforting and empowering you for all that he's called you for. So because the Lord first empowers discouraged builders by his presence... And he does this so beautifully through the Holy Spirit who now indwells followers of Christ. I have two challenges for you. Since God is present in the midst of your discouragement, my first challenge is this. Will you affirm God's view of your situation? In the midst of your discouragement right now, will you affirm God's view of your situation? Think back to what it is that is discouraging you. Again, Alec Matir, he calls for the response of faith. Faith believes that the Lord's assessment of the situation is truer than the human assessment. Humans see an unattainable past and a hopeless present. The Lord sees his own presence, his covenanted word of blessing, his spirit. Faith affirms God's view. Paul Tripp is right when he says that you are the most influential preacher in your life because no one listens to you or talks to you as much as you do. And when we are discouraged, we have to preach to ourselves a true message. We have to affirm God's view of the situation. If God is present with me in my discouragement, then I don't need to be despondent about my growth as a husband because I'm not alone as a husband. God is with me through his spirit, making me more like Jesus. I can take his assessment. This is not a dead-end situation. I'm not a dead-end husband. I can grow, not because I'm great, but because God's Holy Spirit in dwells me. Are you taking God's assessment of your situation? Second challenge, be strong and keep working. Be strong and keep working. Alec Matir says, because God is present and active, we must be vigorous and active. As Philippians 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. God is present with you in the midst of this discouragement, comforting you and empowering you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you can keep working. 
even if yesterday you slept through your devotional time, tomorrow morning you can get up and you can open God's word and you can hear him. Even if yesterday you fell for a thousandth time to the same lie of the evil one, tomorrow doesn't have to be the same. You can keep working. Even if yesterday I got like wicked defensive with my wife, I don't have to do that again tomorrow because the Holy Spirit is inside of me. He's freed me. I'm not a slave to that any longer. It is the Lord through his presence that empowers us in the midst of our discouragement. So think once more, what's discouraging you? Now hear these words from Paul Tripp. He calls you to do the impossible so that in your search for help, you would find more than help, you would find him. God doesn't ask us to be able. He asks us to be willing. If you are willing, he will meet you in your weakness and change you. And as he changes you, he will work good things through you. In the midst of what's discouraging you and your growth in godliness right now, The Lord is with you. He's empowering you. And he will not give up on you. He can no more give up on you. You know, the Father can no more forsake you than he can forsake his only son because you are wed to Christ. He empowers us with his presence. But the second way the Lord empowers discouraged builders is through his future promise. His current presence and his future promise begin in verse 6. For for thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former glory, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. The Lord empowers discouraged builders by promising that coming is the day when he will finish the building, where he will establish his temple and the glory of it will be so much greater than the glory in Solomon's day. Now, when in the world is that gonna happen? For those of you that know your Bible, you know it certainly did not happen in Haggai's day. It actually didn't even happen in Jesus' day. In 70 AD, this temple was destroyed by the Romans. Still, the Lord promises, one day is coming when I will complete this house. The whole universe will become a temple. That's actually the promise of the entire Bible. It's what the whole Bible is looking forward to. The temple is everywhere in the Bible. You just start at the beginning. The very first temple in the Bible is the Garden of Eden, it's a garden temple where God's presence dwelt with God's people. 
Now, of course, Adam and Eve sin and they get booted out of the garden and God's presence gets associated with heaven in the Bible, but then God promises, I'm going to be present with you. And so we see his presence coming in part through this nation, Israel. They are a nation temple where he says, I'll be with you. And then the physical temple comes and Solomon builds it and God is present with them. And then Jesus, the true temple where God and humanity meet, comes and he sacrifices his very life so that we can be reconciled to God. And now we're promised that one day Jesus is going to return and this temple that was destroyed, this place where God's presence dwells, it's going to be completed. Actually, the whole universe is going to be a temple where God's presence dwells with God's people. Let me just read to you a description of the future that is coming for those of us who are in Christ who have turned from trying to be our own savior and trusted in Christ alone. So some of the last words of the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. By the way, those of you who like, like to surf or something, this is figurative. There's no longer any sea, meaning there's no longer any chaos. So if you like to swim, no problem. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, This is the temple. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. See, coming is this temple city where God's presence is going to dwell with God's people forever. And it's going to be so beautiful that the only way the Apostle John can describe it is it's like a bride adorned for her husband. I mean, I still remember my wedding day 10 years ago. I saw those doors open, saw Andrea's just like, just started crying. The beauty was overwhelming. He's saying, that's what your future is going to be like. And by the way, it's a city. So for those of you, you're like, I like the city. I've moved to the city. Good. You're setting yourself up really well for your future inheritance. Okay. Notice this is not Lancaster County coming down out of heaven. This is a city. Okay. Get used to it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place, his temple is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's going to temple with us forever. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is our future. We're going to see him face to face. Every tear wiped away. For me, that's a lot of tears. And then we see the majesty of this city, this new Jerusalem, this temple that will overtake the whole universe. I did not see... This is chapter 21, verse 22. I did not see a temple in the city. Now, that's significant. Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You don't need a temple. God is there with us forever. The city does not need sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. And 
Look, this is the promise of Haggai. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is our future. Every tear wiped away and the whole universe filled with God's glory and he will be present with us and fulfilling every promise forever. No more fear. Perfect peace. So why does the Lord respond to our discouragement, our present discouragement with a future promise? It's because in the Bible, future hope is what replaces discouragement with joy and endurance. Throughout the Bible, God is always fixing our eyes on the future in order to fix us with encouragement right now. Listen to a little bit of how this goes in the New Testament. Second Corinthians says, so we do not lose heart. Okay, so many of us came in this morning losing heart. But why don't we lose heart? For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 1 Peter chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And then he says, in this you rejoice right now. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And of course, earlier in the book of Revelation, to the one who conquers, the one who endures, I will grant to eat of the tree of life in the future, which is in the paradise of God, the new heavens, new earth. You see, future promises are the very thing God always uses to keep us enduring right now. I mean, what are you going to grow discouraged in your growth in godliness if you know one day in the twinkling of an eye you're going to be like Jesus Christ? He's going to finish the temple so we have nothing to fear now. We can keep pressing forward. What am I going to grow discouraged as a husband when I know one day I'm going to be at the marriage supper of the Lamb? What are you going to grow discouraged in your love for one another and how slowly that goes when you know one day we're going to live with one another in perfect peace and be fully known and fully loved? We don't grow discouraged now because we know in such a short time God's future promises are going to become reality. It's like if I'm starving hungry. Okay, like I, I really like to run. And often on my runs, I get really, really hungry. But I don't get discouraged in the hunger. Why? Because I know when I go home, there's going to be food there. I don't freak out in the present because the future is certain. In the same way, in the midst of our discouragements right here, right now, we endure with joy because Jesus has promised us a future that is certain. I know right now, for many of us, life can feel so uncertain. I just want to encourage you that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, your real future is absolutely certain. 
And nothing that discourages you now can shake your future inheritance. So you can keep building with strength and without fear because your future is certain and the God who promises it through Jesus Christ is present with you right now. So take heart. Don't be discouraged. Keep building because he is with you. He is for you. And he promises a future for you that cannot be shaken. And so I want us now as we respond to what we've heard to turn our attention to Jesus Christ. He is the one who secures our future. If left to ourselves, our future is only death and condemnation forever. The Bible tells us that what we've earned through our lives, through our good works, whether religious or not religious, is condemnation. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so as we respond in worship, we're actually going to also partake in communion. Communion is a meal by which we remember that our future has been secured by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. As you tear off a piece of bread anytime during the next three songs and dip it in the cup, you are remembering that Jesus' body was broken so that we wouldn't be broken forever. That his blood was shed in order to purchase us as God's own possession forever. It's through this meal that we remember. I'm secure forever, not because of anything I've done, but through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a committed follower of Jesus Christ, I'd ask you actually not to partake in communion. Because communion is a meal of remembrance for those who are following Jesus. It's a meal for those who have put their confidence in the blood of Christ and what he's done and not any confidence in what you've done. So if you're here today and you're like, maybe you've been religious your whole life, but you're still trusting yourself and what you can do rather than what Jesus has done to reconcile you to God, instead of coming to the communion table, would you come in faith to Jesus today? Would you simply come to him and say, Jesus, I believe that I'm a sinner deserving death and condemnation, but you were condemned in my place on the cross. Therefore, would you forgive me and lead me a whole life long? If that's you this morning, would you actually just let us know on your connect card? Would you just write a little bit about what's going on, how maybe you're wanting to begin that journey of a personal saving relationship with Christ and Mike will follow up with you tomorrow. We're also going to respond in worship and in prayer. There'll be folks in the back, they would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. And we're going to worship the one who has secured our future and is present with us now so that our discouragement can turn to joy and endurance. I'll pray and we'll stand and worship him together.